We're going to start in Revelation 4 and look at John's description of the throne room of God because this is the secret place. This is where God lives. It is the holy place where we meet with him in his presence. This is Revelation 4, 2 to 6. At once I was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald and around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures. John's description goes on, but I just want to draw this out, that he sees a throne and he sees fire, and he sees crystal, and he sees a rainbow, and there's these beings called the four living creatures. This is what John describes heaven, the throne room of God, looks like. Now we're going to go to Ezekiel 1 in the Old Testament, and he had a vision of the throne room of God, and I want you to notice the similarities. This is Ezekiel 1, 4 to 28. It's greatly abbreviated, which I just wanted to highlight some, some of the verses. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud of raging fire engulfing itself and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked like a dome, sparkling like ice crystals, and it was awesome. <laughs> the word in Hebrew is actually, it was terrifying. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. Above the dome over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire, and high on the throne was a figure like that of a man. And I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the cloud on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. So Ezekiel and John match in their descriptions of throne, fire, lightning and thunder, rainbow, uh, crystal, voices, the four living creatures. They're very similar in what God let them see when he opened their eyes to see into the spirit realm and, and see heaven. But there is an additional detail that Ezekiel adds. If you could take us back to verse 4. There's an additional detail that Ezekiel adds here that John doesn't mention. And it's in the first verse. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north. An immense cloud of raging fire engulfing itself. Surrounded by brilliant light. And in the center of the fire, that's where the throne and God are. And the rainbow and the crystals. It's, Ezekiel said, I saw it inside of a fiery windstorm. So Ezekiel, when he sees this vision, is in what was called in their day Babylon. In our day, that's called Iraq. And I want to show you what an Iraqi windstorm looks like. This is a picture of a desert windstorm coming out of the sand in Iraq on a city. That is an enormous cloud. The next one also is an Iraqi desert windstorm. That sand in the desert gets whipped up, and the, that's three and four-story buildings, five-story buildings there at the bottom. That is a very 
large storm. And Ezekiel said, I saw this coming at me while I sat next to the river, which was Tigris or Euphrates, I don't remember off the top of my head. I saw this immense windstorm coming at me through the, across the desert. The next pictures are not necessarily Iraq, but other examples of windstorms, because I want you to get this in your head, the picture of this cloud. This is uh, Kansas in the 1930s, the Dust Bowl, um, the dust storms that they lived through during the Depression. And the next picture is either Oklahoma or Kansas, I'm not exactly sure. These things are just immense and very dark. The next picture is Australia. That's a huge cloud of dust. And Ezekiel says, I saw this thing coming at me. And he doesn't say that he ran away. <laughs> Probably because he knew that I ain't going to outrun that thing. <laughs> like, I'm just going to have to live through this. But, but then he saw that God was inside the storm. Uh, the next picture is Phoenix. I just need you to get that picture of what Ezekiel saw when he says, I saw an enormous windstorm coming when I was by the river in Iraq. This is what he saw. Except that he says, it was a raging cloud of fire engulfing itself. So it wasn't just a dust storm, it was a storm on fire. We have, in the western North America, we have raging clouds of fire that engulf themselves every summer. And I want to show you one of those in California. There is a raging cloud of fire engulfing itself. What we call wildfires, forest fires, we, they happen every summer in western North America. That fire is burning so hot that it begins to turn like a tornado. You can see the rotation in the cloud. And you can see that the fire is so hot, it's burning hundreds of feet into the air and it's engulfing the cloud it's burning up the smoke itself as it rises. That is precisely what Ezekiel describes in Ezekiel chapter 1. I saw this desert windstorm, but it was on fire and it was burning itself up as it came. And it was awesome. <laughs> he says, it was terrifying. But what does he see inside? He sees God's home. He sees the holy place. The secret place is inside the storm. He sees everything John saw. Rainbows, crystal, angels singing, worship, holiness of God. Everything we just sang, actually. But it's inside of this boiling cloud of fire and wind. Let's see what else Scripture tells us about these storm that is around God. Psalm 50, verse 3. Our God approaches, and he is not silent. Fire devours everything in his way. A great storm rages around him. If I saw one of those Iraqi desert windstorms, I would not, the first thing I would think is not be, oh, here comes God. <laughs> but Ezekiel knew it. Psalm 18, David wrote this one. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew, and he soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering and his canopy around him. The dark clouds, the dark rain clouds of the sky, out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. Next one, this is Psalm 97. Clouds and darkness surround him, 
Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes before him and burns up all his enemies round about. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The presence of God melts the mountains. And lastly, from Exodus chapter 19, this is where God comes down on Mount Sinai to give the Ten Commandments to Moses and notice the description of everything going on. It matches what Ezekiel and John saw. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud over the mountain, very dark, a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled, and Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire, and the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. The sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. If you know that story, you know all of the Israelites ran away. But Moses hiked up the mountain into that storm to meet with God. So I've been talking with you for four Sundays now about seeking God. And if we seek, we will find the reason we have to seek him is because he is veiled in clouds. And they are not cotton ball clouds. It is a fire nato that we have to pass through in order to get to the presence of God. So, but those are all Old Testament. Let's look and see what the New Testament says. Luke chapter 21 says, They will see the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming in a cloud with power and glory. Jesus ascended into heaven in the clouds, and the angels tell the disciples he will come back on the clouds as he returned just as he left. All of my life, since I was a wee little lad in Sunday school, that has been presented to me as cotton ball clouds and a blue sky and rays of sunlight. And when I was a kid, if I saw sunlight rays coming through the clouds, my heart would stop. And I'm like, Jesus is coming back, and I'm not ready. Uh, I don't know why it scared me every time, but it did. But seriously, every picture, every flannel graph that I lived through <laughs> is cotton ball clouds and a blue sky and rays of sunshine. But that is not how the Bible describes the clouds around Jesus. We just read how it describes the clouds around Jesus. And look what the New Testament says from Matthew chapter 24. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn when they see him coming on the clouds of the sky. That's not cotton ball clouds. He's coming in a storm of fire. Isn't there an Avengers movie where the sky sort of opens up and it's boiling and the monsters or the aliens or whoever's coming? It's just, I don't know if it's going to look like that or not, but the whole earth will panic when they see Jesus coming on his clouds. Except the people who already know him. And in Revelation chapter 1, it describes this event. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. The clouds around Jesus produce mourning when the people that don't know him see him. Because it, it's going to be a storm. The Bible describes that storm, and it is unlike anything else in universal history. The events that will happen as Jesus returns. So 20-some years ago, there's a worship leader named Misty Edwards who had a vision. She says, I was sitting reading my Bible, 
And all of a sudden, it was like I was dreaming, but I wasn't asleep. I was awake. But I began to see this thing as she was sitting there in the presence of the Lord. She said, all of a sudden, I was in a church, and all of the people in the church were made of plastic. And they moved like robots, and they had fake smiles, and they all were just singing and worshiping and talking to each other, moving like plastic robots, saying, we're happy, we're so happy, we're so happy. And she said it was just terrifying how fake it was. And there was, she said they're carrying trays loaded high with food, and they're all just there pretending to each other to obey God and worship God and to love each other and be happy. And she said, I had to get out. I had to get out of that place. And she ran out the back door of the church, and outside the back door of the church, she said there is a raging tornado of fire right outside the back door of the building. And in the tornado is whirling in fire and cloud and smoke. And she said sirens are going off and alarms and everything was code red. And what was whirling in the storm is world events, history. It's the whole history of the world is this storm of fire. And from inside, from the center of the tornado, she hears Jesus call to her, I'm in here, come to me. She said, I had to get away from the plastic people. I had to know where Jesus is. What, what are you doing? He was standing in the center, in the eye of the storm of world events and circumstances and history and our families and our world. And it's all just raging around him. But Jesus is in the center. And he says, come to me. She wrote several songs based on that experience that she had. And one of them, the song lyric says, the only safe place is in the center of the flame. Because in the center of that storm of fire is the home of God. That's what Ezekiel saw. I saw this raging storm, but once I can see to the center of it, there's God. He, he lives in there. The only safe place is in the center of the flame because that's where Jesus is. Back in April, I was with Roy and Mary doing what they call their prayer ministry. And, and I highly recommend that you make an appointment with Kayla, Jessica, and, uh, and or Roy and Mary they will facilitate a meeting between you and Jesus. And it's, it's pretty wonderful stuff. You can know God personally. It's a really great interaction. So I was at their house in April, and it's just prayer. And they're facilitating a conversation, a meeting between me and Jesus. And, and uh, an hour into it or so, lots of different experiences and things that I saw in my mind's eye and things we prayed about and, about an hour into it, I saw myself standing on an immense plain out in like a desert, perfectly flat. There's nothing in any direction except there's this enormous storm cloud coming exactly like one of those pictures I just showed you. Big storm rolling along the land, and it was coming for me. There was nowhere to hide, nowhere to run. Just to make sure that, we, that I wasn't afraid, Roy says, why don't you ask Jesus where Satan is? So I, I wasn't afraid of the storm, but following Roy's leading here as we go through his session, and like, okay, Jesus, where is Satan? And I turned, and he's running for the horizon. He's, he's running away from the storm. So there's nothing to do but just stand there, and the storm just rolled over me, and it's pitch black dark. Now, I can't see a thing, but as the st I'm just standing still, but the storm is moving on, and as it moves on past me, the front of the storm, it begins to get a little lighter, and a little lighter, and a little more more light, a little more light, and it's, it's, it's coming up, and all of a sudden, I am in 
a meadow of the greenest grass I've ever seen in my life, full of rainbow-colored flowers. The sky was a rainbow, but all around, it was black dark. I was, the storm had not moved past me. I was in it. I was in the center. And here is a rainbow dome. And the Holy Spirit was there. And it was, it was beautiful, it was peaceful. The specifics of that is not my point. It's private for me anyway. But um, I don't know why the Lord needed to show me the storm part first, but he did. And I was in the presence of the Lord. I could see the Holy Spirit um, as a mist of light. But it was inside of a really dark storm cloud. So both the scriptures I've read to you and Misty's vision and mine that's spiritual, ethereal, metaphorical stuff that I know a lot of you, okay, so how does this live out in real life? Okay, so let's look at the lives of some Bible characters and what does it look like to have to come into the presence of God but go through some storm of fiery cloud? So in Jonah's life, Jonah, God tells Jonah, I'm going to meet you in Nineveh. Nineveh is where my presence is for you. What was the storm he had to go through was a literal storm on the ship and then the belly of the whale to get to where God could meet him. He had to go into the storm and find God in it. Joseph was given a vision of where God wanted him when he was 17. He sees the end of his life and what was in between? A very big cloud of fire. Kidnapped by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape, put in prison for years. That's the storm he had to get through and arrive where God wanted him to arrive in, in the blessing and presence and beauty of God. Jacob wanted God's blessing on his life. What does he have to do? He has to wrestle all night for it. That's, that's him passing through the storm cloud to find God on the other side. Peter finds God on Pentecost morning. Holy Spirit, fire, wind, tongues, Pentecost. How did he get from fishermen to bleeding Pentecost Sunday, 50 days of agony that I have betrayed my best friend and my Lord. We went through a very dark cloud to arrive at the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is physically on the earth at one point, and now he is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, the name above every name, king of kings and lord of lords. And how, what, did he have, what storm did he have to pass through to get there? The cross and the grave and literal hell. There is a storm all around the presence of God that we have to walk into like Moses, trusting that God is in it. Running from it won't do. Can't avoid it anyway, because you know, I mean, you can't. You can't control your family and your coworkers and world events and corrupt governments and the storm, the fire NATO. You can't control it. But the answer is not to hide in the church with plastic people. The answer is to run into the middle of it because that's where Jesus is. That's where peace is. That's where real power and truth and life are. So this, we find God in the secret place living in beauty and song and precious gems and rainbows and this gorgeous holy place that is his home. But it is surrounded by very dark clouds, which is why the Old Testament has to say 400 times, seek God, seek him. 
Because to get to the holy place, to get to God, we have to press through. You all have driven in fog before. It's terrifying to not know where you're going or even where you're at in a blinding snowstorm or fog or flying a plane through the clouds. That's what it means to seek God because there is a veil of cloud around him that we have to push through. And that might be some really minor annoyances of daily life that we just have to get over the stumbling blocks and, and press into God. So your family member rubs you the wrong way or your coworker makes you mad and you just have to go, oh, God, okay, I'm going to love you. I'm going to forgive them. Let's go on. Right there, you just press through the veil into God. It happened. You didn't make it go away, but you just, or I'm talking about really major things like marriage troubles and health troubles and corrupt governments and corrupt churches and just the disasters of the world. We cannot hide in a plastic church. With fake people, we have to dive into the fire with Jesus. Trust that in the center of it all, not running away from it, but going into it like Moses, I get through the dark cloud and the smoke and the thunder and I find God. If you don't know that story where Moses gets the Ten Commandments, God is in that cloud and Moses goes and meets him and says there was a pavement of sapphire under his feet and Moses ate and drank with him and talked with him. And... But the only place to find him was going into the storm, go into the cloud. So, so I'm talking about when you have your morning quiet time with God, which is what I've been talking to you about for weeks now. And you, I, okay, that the kids are off to school or wherever, uh, or I get up in the morning early before everybody else. However you do it, it's just like, okay, I'm, this is now my time. This is my space. I'm going to meet with God. And all of a sudden, the dog barfs. Phone rings. You know, there's an emergency at work. Or somebody's robbing your time. That's the cloud we have to push through. These things we, gotta, we have to push through to get into the presence of God. Or I sit down with my guitar or my Bible. I'm like, I'm just really not in the mood today. God feels like a hundred miles away. My prayer isn't getting through the ceiling. That's the cloud we have to push through. That's not the time to quit. That's the time to keep walking. You've just walked into a fog. Keep walking. You'll come out on the other side of it. Or it's decades long of health problems or big things, not just minor annoyances of life or moods, but big things that we have to press through. This veil of cloud that's in between us and God. And probably most of the time for most of us, it's fear. Fear is the cloud that veils us from God. Because I know there's something I have to do that God wants me to do. Or I know there's something he wants me to stop doing. Or there's something he wants me to confess. Or there's something he wants me to give up. And I'm afraid of that. And that fear becomes a veil that separates us from God. That's the storm. That's the wall of fire. (laughs) I don't want to go into that. I don't want to go through that, God. I don't want to give that forgiveness. I don't want to do that thing. I don't want to give that up. But... You have to walk through that to find Jesus in the center of the storm. Most of the time, for most of it, that that veil of cloud is probably fear. But it can be the unknown. It can be confusion. I don't know what's going on. 
I don't know why the business is in such disarray as it is. I don't know why our marriage is so hard. I don't know why my kids won't live what we taught them when they were kids and they're not walking with God now. And whatever your fire NATO is in your life, it's just that sometimes the veil that hides God is just, it's confusion, the unknown. You just keep taking one step at a time. And maybe you need to go really slow and careful, but you just keep walking. Keep walking forward toward the voice of Jesus. He's in the storm calling you. Sometimes it might be a sacrifice I don't want to make, but he's requiring me to give something or whatever. Sometimes it's forgiveness. Like there's unforgiveness in between me and God, and it's keeping me, it's hiding his presence from me. That's the dark cloud that I can't see through. And he will let you know if that's it, and then, and then you have to decide to walk into that storm. And it's scary, and it burns, and i got to walk through this because God's on the other side. Sometimes the cloud that hides him is his silence. You've prayed for years about something and gotten no answer. Or you thought you really thought you obeyed him. Like, God, I, I did this thing for you, like you told me to do. And now it's not working out and I don't, I don't hear you. Um, silence is a big one. It strikes me as important that in both of Jesus' main parables about prayer, which is the widow begging the judge and the neighbor banging on his neighbor's door at the middle of the night, in both of those parables, Jesus, the character that is God in those stories, doesn't want to help. Like, Jesus, why did you frame God as somebody who doesn't want to answer our prayers? And Jesus just says, keep, keep going, just keep knocking. He will answer you. I promise you he's good. In the, in the knocking, you're not going to understand, and it is going to seem like he's a judge that doesn't care, but it's not true. When the Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus and she's, she's in desperation that he deliver her daughter from demons that torment her daughter, we're not told how old the daughter is, but this mother comes, falls at Jesus' feet, and is wailing, deliver my daughter from this demon that torments her, and it says, and he didn't answer her. He's having dinner with his disciples and he ignores a wailing mother. I mean, doesn't look at her. And so she asks again and he calls her a dog. She's pressing through the cloud. So she asks again and he says, I've never seen faith that awesome. Absolutely, your daughter is delivered. And he tells everybody else, this woman is awesome. I've never seen anything like this. Why did he do it that way? I don't know, but he's perfect love. So whatever he did in his ignoring her and then in calling her a dog, whatever he did was right. And it was the only way to do it. The ultimate answer is she got what she wanted because she kept pushing through. Jesus's own silence. She kept pushing through the veil, the cloud, that at first could have been hurtful, infuriating. But she kept going. Pushed through that veil of dark cloud, that wall of fire that is your circumstance and find Jesus. By way of example, and this is a really minor thing and not a, 
um, not a major cloud at all, but I just want to give an example of what this looks like in daily life and finding, finding God on the other side of the, the veil. Um, partly because of um, what, where we were last week and partly because Ted asked me to tell this story again. So 11-ish, 12-ish years ago, I read a news article about Thompson, Manitoba. It's a town not a whole lot larger than LeGrand in the far north of Canada and that per capita it had the highest murder rate in all of Canada. Alcohol, drugs, Indian reservation life. And I don't know why. I didn't know why then. It stuck in my head and the next day I'm thinking about Thompson, Manitoba. The next day I'm thinking about Thompson, Manitoba. And then I start praying for the people there. I'm like, God, sounds like a really bad place. You need to move there. God, do something. And for a week or so, I'm, I'm thinking about Thompson, Manitoba every day, and I'm praying, and it dawns on me, God wants me to go to Thompson, Manitoba. I'm called there. That's what this is. And so I still, every day I'm praying, I go to online, and I'm looking up the town. I went to Google Maps, and I looked at it. I looked at the churches. I looked at the schools. I looked at all the stats. I'm like, I've become obsessed with Thompson, Manitoba. I came to the point where my faith was so high about I knew that I knew that I knew that I was supposed to go there. I was certain that I was going to be walking down the sidewalk on Adams Avenue in LaGrande, Oregon, and somebody from Thompson, Manitoba was going to run into me and we were going to start a conversation and I was going to have a way to get to Thompson and something the Lord wanted me to do. And so for a couple of weeks, I'm, I'm looking every day. I'm like, okay, God, where are you at? Let's go. Let's, let's do this. Well, it seemed like maybe two, three weeks and we had a Bethel team come here to the church and during worship, music's loud and my eyes are closed and hands are up and I was right here and one of the guys from the Bethel team comes up and gives me this bear hug from behind and he, over the music, he shouts in my ear, he says, God says slow obedience is disobedience. I'm like, oh God, I don't want to disobey you. What am I disobeying you about? What am I being slow about? And the next day, Thompson, Manitoba. I'm like, God, I'm not being slow. I'm looking for you every day. I have, my faith is high. I'm anticipating this. There's going to be a miracle. You're going to open a door. This is great. Like, I'm not being slow about it at all, Lord. I'm all for it. Let's, let's go. But slow obedience is disobedience. And, and over the next days or a week or whatever, it dawned on me this re- realization, God is not going to open the door. He wants me to kick it open and make a way to Thompson, Manitoba that verse, you know, the violent take it by force kind of thing. So, so then I'm like, well, God, I can't just buy a plane ticket to Thompson, Manitoba and walk into town and say, here I am. And he's like, why can't you? It's what the apostles did. I'm like, oh, you like God? No. Okay. As usual, you're right. But it was like, okay, God, there are, there are pastors working there. There's churches, there's believers there serving you. I don't want to be presumptive and arrogant and show up and say, here I am, God's gift of revival to your town. You know, God's called me here as a missionary and I'm going to make it all right. Like, I don't want to do any of that, Lord. What do I do? And so over a few days, I came to realize that God's waiting on me to open this door. Uh, He's not just going to drop a miracle in front of me on the sidewalk in LeGrand. I have to do something. This is the cloud. I have to do something. And I sweated for a while about him wanting me to buy a plane ticket and just fly into town, not knowing a soul. Like, what would that be like? I was glad that didn't have to be that way. But so then he's like, I'm looking at the churches in town online. Like, okay, I'm just going to call one of the pastors and just talk to him. 
I felt really embarrassed and ashamed about that because I did not want to... If somebody called me here at my church office and said, God's called me to LeGrand and I need a church to come preach at, I was like, thank you very much. And I would hang up on them. Like, that's just, it's not how you do it. And I didn't want to be presumptive. And, but I knew what the Lord had told me to do. So I, I look at the list of churches in Thompson and like, okay, there's the Catholic church and there's the Episcopal church. I can't work with them. And there's churches that wouldn't have worked with me. And I just find this random church name, Light of the North and a phone number, and I called it. I was sweating bullets. I was like, this is the, this is the wildest, dumbest thing I've ever done. This guy's going to hang up on me. And looking back, I mean, it's a really minor thing, but I'm pressing through the cloud, trying to figure out where is God in this? Where is this? Part of it was just unknown. Part of it was embarrassing. Part of it was just my own pride. But it's all just the cloud. I just have to push through and figure this out. Where is God? Seeking God. So I dial the number, and I, I'm really, I'm like very nervous which is in hindsight is funny, but it, well, at the time it was real. And this guy answers the phone who doesn't speak English. And I choked, I froze up, I'm like, ah, I can't even answer because I don't know what he just said. And, and he, there's this pause and he says it again. And I'm like, well, I guess he's probably saying hello. <laughs> so, so I just blurted out, my name's Mitch, I'm 37 years old, I'm a pastor in Oregon, and God has put Thompson, Manitoba in my heart, and I have no idea what to do with it. I'm not calling to invite myself to come preach at your church. I don't want to presume anything, or I've got to call somebody and talk to somebody in Thompson and know what it is the Lord wants me to do there. There's this long pause, and he says, say all that again? So I said it all again. My name is Mitch. I'm 37. I'm a pastor in Oregon, and, and God's called me to Thompson. And, and we talked for like an hour. He is the age of my parents. His name is Oyvind Haukas. He and his wife, Inger, are Norwegian, and they had been missionaries for around 30 years in northern Canada, living on the reservation, had faced dire poverty and great danger and enormous sacrifice and miracles and amazing life that they lived uh, with an Indians in northern Canada, we had a really positive phone call. He's like, this is God. Let's do it. Just come up and visit. Just, just come up and we'll see where God takes this. We're still just pushing through the cloud. Don't know what's ahead, but just, just walking in to the circumstance. So it was like three months later in November, I took Ken Foster and we flew to Thompson, Manitoba, and we met Inger and Oyvind, and we hit it off really well. We were there four days, three nights, and what we didn't know was when we left, Inger told this to me twice, but she told me at Oyvind's funeral last week. Oyvind left for the airport to drive you and Ken to the plane to fly home. I collapsed on the kitchen floor and sobbed because what had happened when God was calling me to Thompson, that whole months-long process of working up the courage to make the phone call, they had friends that had been couple decades long friends, co-missionaries that had gone off in some weird teaching that wasn't biblical and they had confronted them on it and things had fallen apart and their friends had left and they were crying out to God like, hey, you've got us out here in the wilderness and we're all alone and nothing's happening and where are you? What are you doing? And she said, and you just totally out of the blue call Oyvin at the church. It was really fun and it was really cool. I've been there four times. Sarah's been twice. There's a group of guys um, have been up and we've visited them in Washington and Oyvind and Inger have come here twice and, and two weeks ago he had a, well he had a heart attack more than a month ago but he, he died two weeks ago and Sarah and I were at his memorial service a week ago yesterday and 
Um, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. We love the family dearly, and they love us really well. And everybody that's been up there said, Dale says it changed his life. Um, Silas Kelty flew up to the service because Oivan meant so much to him. Silas texted me, and he said, uh, I've only been in Oivan's presence for part of 10 days, and he totally changed my life changed everything, my entire definition of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. His faith was radioactive, and it was. So Saturday evening, Sarah and I are sitting in their family house. It's post-funeral, and everybody's just talking and eating, and everybody's tired, but it's been a really beautiful day. Lots of tears, but it was fantastic to get to honor such a great man of God. And I just sat there, and I thought, I just had this thought strike me like lightning. I am so glad I didn't chicken out of making that phone call. Because this is God. This, re- this relationship, these connections is God. Do you see that because of fear of the cloud and not waiting in or not following through, it made me wonder how much else I've missed that God had set up for me. How much have I missed that was wonderful because I was scared to obey or give up or wh- whatever. And I don't mean that my own pride and timidness in that story is anything like some of the fire nados you all are living through. It's just an example of what I mean by having to push through the unknown, push into the scary, trusting that God is there on the other side of that veil. And he is. He will meet you. Um, All of God's greatest blessings are on the other side of fear. Psalm 66, for you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out into rich fulfillment. We went through fire and through water. We just sang it in the song Ted led. We went through fire and water. The devil can bring fire and water and trouble in our lives, but this verse says that some of it's from God. And in the presence of God, there is fire and water. There's rainbow and flame. The through the fire and water, some of it in our life, is the devil and it's our battle to overcome and it's victorious and it's great and yea, Jesus. But some of it is I got to go through fire and water to get to God. I got to go through this storm cloud that is hiding God from where I'm at now, but he will bring me out into rich fulfillment. In the center of that fire nado, is Jesus. And the only safe place is the center of the flame. So I'd like you to close your eyes with me, if you will, and I just want you to picture standing next to Jesus. Maybe you're facing each other and he's smiling. Maybe you're holding hands. Maybe he's got his arm around you. It's just you and Jesus, nobody else. And he is perfectly relaxed. He is full of confidence and faith and hope. He is totally in command of the situation. But you are inside of a tornado of fire. And it is so close you can feel the heat. If you wanted to reach out and touch it, you could burn your fingertips. There it is. The circumstances of life. Family, work, heartbreak, kids that aren't walking with God, financial trouble, health problems. There is a fire NATO around you. But you are in the eye of the storm. 
And Jesus is not afraid. And not only is he not afraid, he is complete in control of what's going on. And you are with him. And he's looking at you and he approves. And he's safe. He invites you into the secret place. This is where I live. My home is in the center of the storm. Don't run from the storm. You can't outrun it. Don't take sanctuary in plastic church. Come to me in the center of the flame. You will not be burned. You won't even smell like smoke. But you have to come through to find me. Come in. Come into the scariness. Come into the sacrifice. Come into the forgiveness. Come into the unknown. I promise you, when you seek me, you will find me. You can't control the storm anyway. You couldn't stop it. You can't steer it. You can't script it. And if you try, you're going to get burned. In quietness and rest is your strength. Just get your Bible, sit down at your piano, or grab your guitar. And every day, every day, get in your prayer closet and find Jesus in the secret place, in the center of the flame, in the center of the busyness and all the chaos and sometimes pain and sometimes fear. Find Jesus. Look him in the eye and see how much peace he has and how safe you are, how loved you are, And yeah, you look around and the dark clouds are all around. They totally surround. But right here in the middle is the Holy of Holies, the home of God. And he has brought me in. And the nations can rage. I will not be moved. And then from this place, I can love and I can serve and I can give and I can forgive and I can smile this is my home in the center of the storm this is home and it's beautiful bless you all in Jesus name